Welcome to our podcast here at Encounter Church in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We pray that as you listen to this message, you will not only be challenged, but changed. Our desire is to be a place where life starts, love happens, and purpose is revealed. If you're in our area, join us on Sunday mornings at 9 or 11 a.m. and every first Wednesday at 6.45 p.m. For more information about our church, you can visit us at EncounterChurch.today or follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or Periscope. Just search eChurchBR. We invite you now to open your hearts to receive what God has for you. Here's today's message. God, we love you. And we thank you for who it is that you are, Lord. Not what it is that you do, but who it is that you are. You are worthy of all praise and all glory. And I thank you, God, for our opportunity to come together this morning. Thank you for this church. Thank you, Lord, for our senior pastor and his family. I just pray, Lord, that his time in England is just a wonderful time of just refreshing. Lord God, I just pray your favor over everything that he has to do over there, Father God. And in the meantime, we just pray over uh, Kelly and the family here. Lord God, we just pray your protection, just pray your supernatural energies, Father God, for them. And just in their absence, Lord, we just lift up this house to you, Father. And again, we just pray over everybody present, Lord. I pray as always as I do from behind the pulpit that you would use me this morning, that every word from my mouth be yours and not mine. And I pray again as always that people leave here changed forever, different to how they arrived, Lord God. Not because of me, but because of you and because of your word. We love you, God, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Okay, let's get myself situated. Right, okay. All right, so here we are in uh, week three of the Holy Spirit, the truth about the Holy Spirit. Uh, we have got a very special um, series that's going on right now. Pastor uh, has knocked it out of the park, as always, the last couple of weeks, speaking about the Holy Spirit. Uh, and this is a topic that I'm always very, very excited about, the Holy Spirit preaching this. So, uh, hold on, strap yourselves in, um, because you are in for a ride this morning. Uh, I am coming at you with a uh, a fire hose. Okay, so please, uh, you know, I'm not going to make apology for the amount of scripture I'm going to throw at you. Do what you can do to keep up. Um, this is uh, the summer's first time actually on the words here, so this is what you might call a baptism of fire. Um, she's going to be, um, so get those fingers ready, Summer. Uh, I'm going to be testing you this morning. All right, so it's going to be, as I said, it's a powerful message. And the Holy Spirit uh, is something, as I said, I very much enjoy speaking about. It's something I enjoy learning about. It's something that I've, I've, I dove into probably 18 months ago now, and I'm still studying it now. Because why? Because it's such a, it's such a massive uh, topic. And, you know, there are a lot of people who have a vague idea of, of who the Holy Spirit is is. But generally speaking, you know, and this is, this is what I've picked up from people that I've spoken to and, and just being a pastor and just having, you know, one-on-one conversations with people, generally speaking, most people are unsure about the Holy Spirit. Not unsure, nervous, but just unsure, maybe unaware. They don't necessarily know all of the details about it. And any lack of understanding that we have about anything can cause us to be a little nervous about that thing. And the Holy Spirit is no different in that regard. And if we don't have a good understanding about the truth of the Holy Spirit, we can become nervous about him. Now, that's not a good thing, because anything that we're nervous of, we tend to pull away from. We protect ourselves from. We shy away from. We might not be afraid of him, which would have us turning around and running in the opposite direction. But a nervousness will, at the very least, stop us from approaching 
something. If, 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 if I'm nervous that there might be a snake behind that door, there's a possibility. I'm not going to turn around and run away, but there's a, every possibility I won't actually open the door and go through it. And so we need to have an understanding about the Holy Spirit. And I keep using the word him when we're talking about him because he's most definitely a him. And he is not an it. Okay, He is the third part of our triune God, and he serves an incredibly vital role in our lives as Christians, which I'm going to go into uh, shortly. Now, spiritual gifts, that's the title of the message. That's the topic that I'm speaking about today. It's another one. It can have us take a step back and maybe raise our eyebrows a little bit. And it's again because of what our mind associates with the word spiritual or spirit. It can conjure up thoughts of spooky things, unnatural things, ghostly things, woo-hoo things. It can have us, uh, when we talk about spirits, all right? So we've learned already that the word spirit itself, okay, in the Bible, in our Bible, is the English equivalent to the Greek word pneuma, all right, which is the word used for breath or gentle blast of wind. And this is why the study of the Holy Spirit is called pneumatology. Pneumatology. That's the official name for the study of the Holy Spirit. And some people take that word spirit and go one step further and use the word ghost, the Holy Ghost. So understandably, it's difficult not to go into woo place when we're talking about ghosts and spirits, okay? Because of the words that we use to name him. And people also tend to have a desire to seek out and magnify the spiritual side. We have that as our human nature. We like things to be a little bit weird sometimes, and I get that. But what we need to be doing instead really is to embrace who the Holy Spirit is and the role that he serves, rather than putting him out there as this spooky, mysterious character. Now, I'm not minimizing the spiritual aspect of a relationship with God, with Jesus, or the Holy Spirit. Because it's obviously a spiritual relationship. But we need to be bringing the Holy Spirit into the same realms, realms of comfort that we have God and Jesus in. If we speak about God, we don't have a nervousness. If I speak about Jesus, we don't have a nervousness. Because we can relate to God as our Heavenly Father. We can relate to Jesus as His Son. So we have things in our human life, on our day-to-day life, that we can relate to Father, Son. Okay, And we can relate to those things. So we have no nervousness about God or Jesus. About the words God or Jesus. And yet you say Holy Spirit... We mentally put him in a separate box. He needs to be pulled in to God, Jesus, Holy Spirit. So we have the same comfort about the Holy Spirit as we do God and Jesus. So I'm hoping that by the end of today, maybe I can have him in your life, in your mind, in your spirit. Have him pulled into the same realms of God and Jesus so that you can not just speak confidently about him, but you can feel confidently about him. That you can walk past that door and not be the slightest bit nervous of the snake the other side. That you'll approach the door, open it up and go, Holy Spirit, come on in. Great to see you. Thanks for being here. That you can have that approach to him instead. All right, so we should see the Holy Spirit as approachable and reachable. And we should do that because of this. He is actually the fact, he is the person of God that we have the most interaction with on a day-to-day basis. The Holy Spirit is not out there. We have God, we have Jesus. The Holy Spirit is not further away. He is actually closer to us. Let me show you, and I'm going to start from this place. Here we go, Summer. 
First Corinthians. Okay, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So the Holy Spirit is within us. He's not taking up any physical space inside of us, okay? I haven't carried a baby before. Uh, My wife has, obviously, and I know how uncomfortable it was for her to have this human growing inside of her, okay? And all of you ladies who have had children will recognize the same thing. That that child takes up space, okay? You're sleeping at night, and you've got at least 15 minutes rest for the day, and this little thing inside you is kicking you in the kidneys, right? It's taking up space. That's not how the Holy Spirit works. He's with us. He's within us. He's not taking up any space, all right? When you are saved, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within us. So we effectively couldn't be any closer to the Holy Spirit than we are. Because he's within you. He's within me. And the Holy Spirit is effectively, he's the interface between God and us. God uses the Holy Spirit in us on the day-to-day. And again, I'm just really trying to give you some degree of normalcy about the Holy Spirit. I want you to feel the Holy Spirit is a normal thing. Yes, he's a supernatural thing. But he's a normal thing. He's normal in our lives as Christians. So before I go into more detail about the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts, I want to make sure we've all got a grasp of God's influence in our lives, how present and active he is in our lives. And I'm passionate about this because it's something which is so key and and life-changing for you. When it comes to believing in God's involvement in our day-to-day lives, you either believe that he is involved in what goes on in the world and in our world, Or you don't. You may believe in God, but you may believe that he's not active in your day-to-day. That he's only there when we recognize that he's there. Or when we turn to him. Or he's only there for an hour and a half on a Sunday morning. But he's not there on the day-to-day. If you don't believe that God is involved in our world and involved in your world, then you are what's known as a deist. And a deist believes in God. But believes that God created the universe... And then step back and let the universe get on with being the universe and took no further part moving forward from that point. So a deist believes that God is not active today in anybody's life. A deist believes that God wasn't active in the writing of the Bible. He has no input or effect in any way, shape or form on what it is that he created. He simply created it. He created the laws of nature, and then that was it. He washed his hands after the work he did and went and put his proverbial feet up. But that is not the truth. Paul the Apostle spent his life, after being saved, sharing the gospel message and spoke different styles of message depending on where he was and who he was speaking to. And at this point, he's finished preaching and teaching about Jesus in Thessalonica and Berea, which is in northern Greece, And he's found himself in a spot of bother, we would say in England. He's in a spot of bother. What does that mean? Well, yet again, he's spoken. People think he's speaking out of turn, and they've run him down. And if you know anything about the story of Paul, he he goes to a place, he preaches, he gets beaten up. He leaves the place, he goes to another place, he preaches, he gets beaten up, he leaves that. And that's kind of how Paul is. So he's had one of these episodes. And so he gets bundled by his friends and his, and his uh, brothers in Christ. He gets bundled onto a, onto a ship and sent down and taken to Athens. 
for his own protection. So he's there in, in Athens and he's waiting for his uh, companions, his friends, Silas and Timothy to arrive. And whilst he's there, he's aware of how many people are worshipping worshiping idols and false religions. So he does what he always did, and he starts speaking about God and God's Son. And a few of the philosophers there, they heard him and they wanted to hear more, simply because it was new to their ears. Some of the philosophers of that time were just hungry for newness. They wanted new information. And they take him to a place called the Areopagus, which is a huge rock mass, and that's just right next to the Acropolis in Athens. And they use this place for meetings of their council. Now, I'll tell you all of that background to the verses I'm going to run through, through with you in a second for this reason. As I said to you, Paul gave various types of messages based on who he was speaking to. And the majority of times he spoke, there were people present who had a knowledge of Scripture. They had a knowledge of God. They were aware of God and who he was. So Paul was able to teach about Jesus and the fact that Jesus was the Messiah that the scriptures had predicted would come. So they had a base knowledge, so he could skip all of the basics, so to speak, and dive in and speak about the new news, which was Jesus, the gospel, the good news. But in this case, there are no people present that were knowledgeable of scripture. They didn't know who God was. So what? Well, Paul gave this message, and this message is looked at as one of the most fundamental and basic messages that he ever delivered. And he was speaking about God to those who didn't know God and about God's interaction with us and importance to us. So all of that is an introduction to the scripture that I'm going to run through. And why am I telling you all of that? Because of this, I don't believe that you don't believe in God. I'm a double negative, typical Englishman. I believe that you all believe there is a God. But what I want to do is to, I want to use this scripture and I want to speak to you as though you don't know who God is. Because you might know who God is, but in my humble opinion, your opinion of God and who you think God is, it might be a little off skew. It might not be who God actually is. And how many of you know you will base your life and your life as a Christian 100% on who you think God is? And if you have the wrong idea of God, then you're going to be doing the wrong things to please God. You're going to be afraid of God. You're going to shy away from God. And again, you're going to have that nervousness. You're not going to want to open the door and shout, hey, God. Come on in. Come on in. And that's where we need to be. So I'm going to teach you and speak to you right now the way that Paul was speaking. I'll run through what it is that he's talking about because I want to do what? I want you to start again. I want you to have a new outlook on who God is in your life. Acts 17, 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, that's a great word, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. So Paul's opening to his message is straight to the point. He's saying, okay people, I know that you believe in something passionately. The problem is here that you don't know who it is that you are worshipping. Let me tell you who it is that you don't know. And that's a powerful opener, wouldn't you say? Doesn't it make you think for a moment? And if it doesn't, let me challenge you with a question to make you think. Do you know who it is that you are worshipping? Do you know who it is that you're worshipping? 
So Paul goes on, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. These two verses of scripture truly sum up who our God is in relation to us and how integral he is in our lives, how essential he is in our lives. He starts off with a summary of who he is as creator. The God who made the world and everything in it. He then describes God's sovereignty. Being Lord of heaven and earth. Lord of heaven and earth. And then he goes on and speaks about who he is, how he is. Not the slightest bit dependent on us. He's not dependent on you and he's not dependent on me. He does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. And then he underlines the opposite point of how dependent we are on him. He says this, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So there's more to think on. How much are we guilty of detaching God from our day-to-day life? Or at best, not giving him credit for what happened during our day-to-day life? Do we sometimes associate God with church, the temple, as though he lives here, but forget the fact that he is in fact everywhere? So let's go back to Paul. He carries on and says, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. So Paul is speaking here to the fact that God has filled the earth with mankind, starting from one man. So what this is doing is speaking of God's involvement in the past tense. We're, we're making an argument for the fact that you know, a deist has a wrong viewpoint. The deist thinks that God built it all and then legged it. He left, and it just looked after itself since. We're making an argument against that right now. He's speaking here in the past tense. He says, this is the start of mankind. But it speaks of more than that. It speaks of the fact that God uses agency. What does that mean? It means that God uses things and people and the Holy Spirit to achieve and fulfill his plan. He created me. God created me. He created me. But he did so through the agency of my parents. My grandparents, my great-grandparents, and so on and so forth. He created you in the very same way, with him using the agency of people, but still in absolute control of every aspect and determining every person that would and would not be created, that would and will be created. Agency. God uses agency. We pray to God for miracles. We pray for healing. Now, God will occasionally, miraculously, he will break the natures of law that he created, and he's the only one entitled to do so. And he will create a a, a massive miracle in a body that, that shouldn't be well, that isn't well, that is prayed over and then becomes well. You will sometimes see that. But more often than that, you will see somebody who is sick, And they will be prayed over, and then God will use the agency of surgeons and doctors and medicine and all of those things to bring healing to this body. Now, you try and look me square in the eye and say, because a surgeon cut that cancer out of this body, God wasn't involved. 
Of course God is involved. He's using that agency. He's using the agency. And who we are and the fact that we're created, again, there's no question, God created me. But he used the agency of my parents. So he goes on. He said that they should seek God. This is, he's talking about the people now who are born all from this one man. They fill the world. Mankind fills this world. That they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. What a powerful thought. That we feel our way toward him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. So in God, we live and move and have our being. We live, we move, we have. This speaks of God in the present tense. We Live, move, have, present tense. And yes, this is the present tense in Paul's time, but if God was there 2,000 years ago with Paul, it's still way after creation and so proves the deists wrong, right? He was there, and so if he's there then, he's here right now. In him we live and move and have our being, which means what? Without God, we couldn't live, move, and have our being. Acts 17.29, being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. Get this, we should see God as a divine being, not as an image of a God. We shouldn't see God as who we think God is. We shouldn't have this picture of who God is. Here's what we should have in our minds. God is a divine being. Now, what does that look like? I have no idea what a divine being, but I know God is one. Just because my head can't wrap around and put and stick a picture on him doesn't mean that he's not that thing. In fact, we should steer away from trying to put God into something that we can see because anything that my eyes and brain can comprehend is so infinitely smaller than my God that I don't want to do it. This is why I want to have a mystery. I don't want to understand everything about God. Because if I understand everything about God, God's pretty pretty much not that big. I don't want him to fit in my mind. I don't want him to fit in my comprehension, my understanding. He needs to be a divine being. That's how we should be seeing him. And why is that? An image or an idol cannot be involved in our lives, but a divine being can. And I need that. I need that divine being in my life. So moving on, he says, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, Jesus, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. What does that all mean? All that means this in basics. It speaks of what God's involvement will be. Future tense. He was, he, will, he is, and he will be involved in Everything. Everything. So the truth is, as the scripture says, that he gives us life and breath and everything. The truth is that you waking up this morning is because God made that happen. When you were driving here today, the fact that you made it here, the fact that you wanted to turn your car left and your car went left is down to him. 
When you held that conversation with that person in your car, the fact that your ears heard the other person and then your brain processed those sounds, the fact your conscious mind formulated a reply and then made your mouth move to speak those words, all of that is because God made that happen. Whatever you achieve in your day-to-day is down to him. The fact that you make it through the day is down to him. Now look at this. Psalm 127, Solomon sums this up perfectly. He says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Everything that you attempt to do without God's involvement or giftings or approval, for want of a better word, is done in vain. Conversely, everything built by him through you is not in vain. Likewise, unless the Lord is watching over you, no amount of you looking out for yourself is going to protect you. So what's the point here? Same point as everything else I've spoken about so far. God is involved in everything. He should get all the credit for anything and everything that we achieve. It takes work on our part. It takes sweat on our brow. It might take physical involvement. We still have to get up and get dressed and go to work every day. It takes effort on our part, but he deserves the credit for giving us the ability to accomplish. Now, in the book of Exodus, there's an awesome example of God using the Holy Spirit in a day-to-day situation. Chapter 31 of Exodus, it says this. It says, The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood, to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Aheliab, the son of Ahazimach, of the tribe of Dan. And I have given to all able men ability, that they may make all that I have commanded you. He goes on to then list all of the things that he wants them to build. It's the tent of meeting, the ark of testimony, the mercy seat that is on it, and all the furnishings of the tent, the table and its utensils, the pure lampstand with all its utensils, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering, the basin and its stand, the finely worked garments, the holy garments of Aaron and the priest and the garments for his sons, for their service as priests, and the anointing oil. So he's listing all of the things that he wants his people to put together with the tabernacle, which is basically the moving tent which which went with Moses everywhere that they went and the ark of the covenant which is where the mercy seat was which is where the pillar of smoke and the pillar of fire sat but what's my point here the Holy Spirit is used by God to equip Bezalel to give him the abilities to build these things to build the tent to build the tabernacle and to build the Ark of the Covenant. So the Holy Spirit is used by God to equip who else? Us. He's, he's there to equip you and me to give us abilities to achieve things outside of the church. In the normal day to day. Things that you wouldn't think twice about as being spiritual. You wouldn't think about them being spiritual. Now Rob's an, an engineer. That's a very limited description of your job, right? 
he's not going to go to work he's excellent at what it is that he does and he's going to go to work and he's going to perform doing the job that he does and he's going to wake up in the morning and some days he's not going to feel like going but he's going to go anyway and he's going to be there and he's going to perform to the best of his abilities and he's going to do and he may take a moment or two during the course of the day to pray but when he's sat at his desk and he's drawing figures or he's keying on his keyboard or whatever it is that he's doing, he's not going to be having some woo-woo moment and think, wow, I'm having a really spiritual experience right now. You understand what I'm trying to say to you? And yet, when he's drawing those figures, he's drawing those drawings, he's on the keyboard right there, the Holy Spirit is working through him. He's there and he's working through him. So it's a spiritual thing which is going on. We just don't call it that because we don't feel it as that because why because spiritual experiences have become too much about the way that we feel when the reality is that every breath that your lungs are taking breathe in deep for me right now breathe out right there that is a spiritual experience because without the holy spirit without god being involved you would not have just filled your lungs and emptied your lungs now who would say that breathing by and large, is normal in your day-to-day. But you can't detach God and the Holy Spirit from it. Okay, so again, very normal. So the example here of Bezalel, it's one of those things where, as I said, you're equipped for doing things outside of the church. Now, listen, yes, the tabernacle, the, the big tent, the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat, all of those things were used in a spiritual purpose, in a spiritual way. They were the things that would go with Moses everywhere when the children of Israel were moving. That's where they had the, the, ten, the Holy of Holies. All of, so that's, they, very spiritual experiences took place in those places with those things. But Bezalel building it was not a spiritual experience. He was just carving another piece of wood. Let me give you another example. Pastor Allen. Pastor Philip's dad. Pastor Alan and Pastor Philip have had their hand on everything as regards the, the building and the refurbishing of this church. Now, Pastor Alan built this stage. I watched him do it. And you might be thinking, well, I'm standing here now and I'm preaching a message, which obviously is a, a spiritual thing, right? Bringing the word of God. Hallelujah. <laughs> Bringing the word of God. It's a spiritual thing. But I'm standing on this stage which is not a spiritual thing. And Pastor Allen, building this stage, for him, this might have been you know, a, a spiritual thing in regards to he knows that he's building the church house. But he's using the same hammer and the same nails and the same things that he used three weeks later when he went back to England and repaired the roof on his house. It's the same talents. You understand what it is I'm saying? So it's not a spiritual experience building a stage just because it's in a church. But the Holy Spirit has unquestionably gifted him in this field. And he's using that for the church, which I'm going to be coming to in a second. He didn't have a spiritual experience fixing his roof in England. He didn't have a spiritual experience building this stage, but the Spirit was very much involved. So hopefully, you can see so far the involvement of the Holy Spirit. That's what I'm trying to put across to you. His guidance, the abilities that God gives us. All of that is absolutely normal to us. In our everyday existence. We just don't think about it. We don't give God credit for it. 
And that's not a judgment thing I'm saying to you. I'm just saying that's how normal it is. We don't think about God doing those things. Now, if we do something out of the ordinary or extraordinary, we will say, well, thank God, God, no idea how that happened. Thank you, Lord, because that wasn't me. But uh, Yes, but then you go and do something ordinary. Suddenly, we forget to thank God for it because God's just involved in that as he was in the extraordinary thing. He's, yes, he's involved in your extraordinary. He is the extra to your ordinary. But listen to me, he's just as involved in your ordinary. He's just as involved in your ordinary. And we don't get spooked at the thought of it. And as I said, we, we just take it for granted and don't give him credit the way that we should. So, that's all introduction. Let's move on to spiritual gifts. Let's talk about spiritual gifts. And what's the definition of a spiritual gift? Let me tell you what a spiritual gift is. A spiritual gift, as Paul speaks about here, and I'm going to prove this to you and show this to you as we're walking, walking through these scriptures. A spiritual gift is everything that I've just spoken to you about. It's all of the stuff that we don't think is spiritual. It's the fact that God has given us abilities to go and do our jobs. Because I couldn't do what Rob does, and Rob probably couldn't do, Rob probably could do what I do. But I couldn't do what he could do. All right, but Rob can do anything. He's my hero. Okay, but what I'm saying to you is this. We are equipped to do things outside, as I said, of the church. Now, what is a spiritual gift? A spiritual gift is taking these giftings that God has given to us and using them in the church. That's what the spiritual gifts are all about. It's about you being equipped and gifted, not when you walk through these doors, not when you come to the altar and pray for a spiritual gift to be bestowed upon you by the Almighty God. You had it when you walked in the front door. Now, the question isn't whether you've got that talent or got that gift. The question is this. Are you using it? That's the question. Are you using it? Now, Paul kicks off this talking about a spiritual gift. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. In the original scripture, the word gift is not even there. Now, considering the spiritual things, but we, we can't just have things. In the, so it's translated into gifts. Why? Because he goes on to talk about gifts three or four verses later. But again, Spiritual things. What about the spiritual things? I don't want you to be uninformed. This part of Paul's letter is to the church in Corinth. And it's very much having the intention of explaining to the church what God has intended regarding service within the church. He's speaking to the Corinthians. He says he's, he's, they've, they've, they've planted that church and now he's given them direction as to what that church should look like from the outside. What an impact that church should be making. Okay, so he's talking to them, and he's, and he's talking about how God has equipped people to fulfill what is needed. And Paul wants the church of Corinth to fully understand this. He wants them to look on these things, these gifts, these talents, these abilities that he has. He wants them to look on them as normal. He doesn't want them to look on these as spiritual and out there kind of way. So let's look at four, four verses. I'm going to run through these with you as an overview, and I'm going to go back and break them down verse by verse. I told you I'm coming at you with a fire hose this morning. So let's break it down. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. 
So the word that's used there several times over is this, varieties, varieties, varieties. And that's a key point. We have to grasp hold of it. There are varieties, an assortment of, a collection of, different ones for different people. And I'm going to be coming back to that. But in the meantime, remember, through this, there are varieties, varieties, varieties. Let's look at the first verse, verse 4. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. Now, the word gift in this verse, this is the Greek word charisma. Charisma is where we get the word charismatic from, which has got all sorts of things attached to it relating to the church. I only know the half of it because I've never been involved in any church until 11 years ago. But the charismatic church I've read about and spoken about and heard about, there are things attached to that word, that charismatic, which again puts it, puts it out there. But that's just, that's just a thing that they've decided to do and decided to call themselves. That's not what the word charisma is about. The Greek word charisma means this, grace gift. It's a gift which is given to you by God's grace. It's a specific kind of gift. Now, I've spoken before about how the English language can be quite limiting in the expression of the original texts of the Bible. In English, <coughs> excuse me, in English, a gift is a gift is a gift. But in the Greek, charisma is a particular type of gift. It's a, as I said, grace gift. It's given to you specifically by God to a person to empower them with a specific talent and ability. Second, verse 5, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. Now the word service here in the Greek is diakonia, which is where we derive the word deacon, from. Anybody ever been in a church with deacons? Okay, deacons is just basically the transliterated word from diakona, which is the Greek word, and that just basically means ministry leaders. A deacon is simply that, the equivalent of a ministry leader. Service is used in this verse to specifically mean serving as part of the church. So you can say there are varieties of ministries, variety of ministry leaders, variety of people who are serving but they all serve the same Lord. Verse 6, there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Now, activities here is the Greek word uh, energoma, and energoma is where we would get the English word energy from. So it speaks to here of things that take energy. Okay, I'm not giving you a crash course in Greek for the sake of it. There is a point that I'm getting to here. Work, in other words, is what it's talking about. Things that require energy, things that need to get done. And again, in this context, inside of the church body. That's all Paul's talking about here. He's talking about within the church body. So Paul is basically saying this. There are varieties of grace gifts and talents that God has given so that we can serve in a variety of ways, and do all of the varieties of work that need to be done in the church. That's what it is that he's saying. That's how he speaks about spiritual gifts. He's not talking about them being out there and spooky, and things that we should be nervous of, or that are only available to some people. He's talking about the grace gifts that the body of Christ are given in order to fulfill what it is that he wants. Next verse, verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit of the common good. Manifestation of the spirit. Here we go again. It's a manifestation of the spirit. What does that even mean? 
Well, I'm glad you asked. You know, I like to include at least one definition in every one of my messages, and here's today's. Manifestation. Outward or perceptible indication. Materialization. So what does that mean? It means we see the results of what the Spirit has done through us. The manifestation of Him in what it is that we created or achieved. So that's all it means. It means the manifestation of the Spirit. What does that? It means that the Spirit works through us and the end result is there is something there. That's the manifestation of the Spirit. That's the perceptible indication. That's the materialization of the Holy Spirit's work in us and through us. Now I'm gifted as a teacher and this message is the result of the Spirit's grace gift through me. Now I put in prayer and work and editing, and agonizing, and sweating my brow, so to speak. And even though I'm giving this message in a church, it wasn't a spiritual woo experience for me. It felt like work. It felt like I turned up at the office, and I sat down, and amongst all the other things that I had to do in that day, I, I put this message together. God's graced me and gifted me with the ability to do so. It felt like work. But it's something material, and tangible. Look, everybody see that? That's not spooky. That's words on a piece of paper. But God's grace gift enabled me to put that together, okay? Now, you are increasing and improving your knowledge of God, hopefully, through the results of this message. And the Holy Spirit, hopefully, is working through me right now. But it still feels like work. I haven't paused for breath. Came in, did the drumming, went off, grabbed a quick half a cup of coffee, got on stage, and now I'm preaching. Now, I'm not saying pat me on the back for that. This is work. Sunday's my main working day, whatever I'm doing. So I might as well just drum and preach, right? (laughs) So what I'm saying to you is this to me right now, yes, it's a spiritual experience, but even if you are gaining knowledge right now, even if you are having a wow moment, even if you are sat there thinking, what is that Englishman talking about? Whatever it is that's going on with you right now, my experience is that I'm doing my job. I'm doing what it is that God has gifted me to do. Okay? So again, it's key and it's important. So to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For the common good. For the common good. What does that mean? It means gifts used within the church that you receive from God outside of the church should be used in the church for the benefit of all. And our gifts are varied person to person. Now Paul goes on to list some of the charismas. He says, for one, is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. And he goes on to list different grace gifts. But that's only one list. Then there's another list in the book of Romans. And then there's another list somewhere else. Effectively, there are 25 different types of grace gifts which are spoken about in Bible. And that's not an exhaustive list. What is it I'm saying to you? Varieties. Varieties. There isn't an exhaustive, there isn't a template for this. Because your gift that's given to you by God is no less important than somebody else's is. We established if you're successfully, if you're out there and you're a, uh, and you're a builder, you might be going out and building a, 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 a block of toilets. You're building a wall for a toilet. That's not a particularly spiritual experience. But it's still something that the Holy Spirit has gifted you for. You couldn't do it without his involvement. He's still manifesting through there. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean? It means, you know, if we as a church 
need a wall building and a toilet, maybe we could give you a call. And maybe you could take that grace gift and use that within the church. And then suddenly you building a brick wall, when you were building it in a block of toilets, you're going to come here and you're still building a brick wall in toilets, but because it's in church, we will call it a spiritual gift. Do you understand? I'm hoping I'm making this really normal for you. Because this is how it's supposed to be. He goes on to say, All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. There are many different gifts and they are allocated by God through the Holy Spirit entirely at his discretion. Have you ever wished that you had this gift in or that gift in? Well, don't. Don't. Because you have your own gift in. Bezalel was gifted as an artisan to build the tabernacle, to build the Ark of the Covenant. Moses and Aaron were not. They were not gifted in that area, but they had their own gifts. You need to focus on using that one gift that you had, your gift, the gift that you have or the gifts that you've been given for the common good, the common good of the church body. Paul explains it this way. He says, For as, just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. So it is with Christ, he goes on to say, for the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less of part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. You have been given gifts that make you a key member of the body. Without a foot, the body can't walk properly. If you are a foot and you are not involved in this church, this church cannot walk properly. So whatever it is that your gifting is to make you a foot, you should be using your gifting and be a foot in this church. That's biblical. That's not pastor saying, oh, he's drumming up people for the dream team. This is biblical. You were gifted for a reason, for reasons. And those reasons, as a Christian, were linked with the church. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. 1 Peter 4, as good stewards of God's varied grace. You've been given this gift. It's a gift. You have it. You have it in your possession because God gave it to you. And you are called to be a good steward with everything that God gives to you. It's why we speak about tithing. That's stewardship. That's not about the money. It's about stewardship. It's about obedience. And the same thing applies to you and your gift. If you are holding on to your gift and not using your gift, you are not being a good steward. I didn't say that. The Bible said that. So that you need to be a good steward. And Paul speaks about stewardship this way. He says this. Moreover, it's required of stewards that they be found faithful. It's required. It's not suggested It's not if you feel like it, it's required that you be a good steward and be found faithful in what it is that God has given to you. So I'm required to be a good steward of the grace gifts that God has given to me. I'm duty-bound to use the charisma that I've been given for the benefit of the church body. I am not duty-bound to do what you are duty-bound to do. I'm duty-bound to do what I'm duty-bound to do. 
I'm duty-bound what I'm gifted to do. I'm going to be held accountable for what I should have done with the giftings that he gave to me. Now, what does that mean for you? It means that you have to be a good steward with the gifts that he gave to you. You don't have to do what it is that I do. You don't have to teach or pastor or drum, but you do have to take what you've been given and use it for the common good. That's what you have to do. Every Christian Christian, should be utilized by the Holy Spirit. You weren't given your grace gifts to sit on them and not use them. And we're challenged several times in the Bible to serve others, to use the gifts that we've been given. Here's just a couple of them, 1 John three sixteen through 18. But this, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in, our, in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Your expression of love will look like you doing something for the common good when you are sacrificing yourself. You're not going to lay down your life physically, but you are going to lay down your life sacrificially and spiritually, time-wise, energy-wise, things that it is that you have that you are able to give. You know, the praise and worship team are here like 7.30 in the morning on Sundays, and that's not counting the fact that they were here till 9 o'clock on Wednesday night practicing, ready for today, and then they're here this morning. And, you know, a couple of them are not well, but they are still here this morning. And they are to do what? To display their love, not just for God, but for you. Me standing here and preaching this message now is my expression of my love to you and to the church and to God. Because I'm using what it is that I've been gifted to do. Kevin on the guitar, is he's, he's playing and he's expressing and showing love to you. Yet he's not going to come up here and, and kill himself physically. But he is going to be here sacrificially. He's not well. He could quite easily have texted in and said, I'm not going to be there this morning. But he's there behind the guitar. And all of the team are here. The people in the sound booth. All of those people in the cafe. Renee and Rena yesterday and all of the weeks that it's taken to build up to the serve day yesterday. They're all using the charisma they've been given to express their love. Yes, for God. But also for his church. Also, for his church. So we're not called to sell everything that you possess. That's not the sacrifice we're talking about. And just give it all away. And just be constantly you know, living on the pavement. And whipping yourself every morning for the bad that you've done. There's none of that. That's not what we're talking about from a sacrificial perspective. But there should be some discomfort sometimes. It's, you know it's okay to come to church and do something and not feel like it. It's okay to complain on the way in, smile while you're here, and then complain on the way home. You know, it's okay. I pray it's okay. (laughs) But that's the sacrifice. If you are a Christian who is never feeling anything like sacrifice, you need to improve your Christian walk. You need to improve your Christian walk. There should be some form of a sacrifice in your life. So we've already looked at some of Romans 12. But here's the two opening verses Paul writes about our lives and service. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and Perfect. 
A living sacrifice, spoken about that. Holy, which means what? Set apart and acceptable to God. And that's not saying that you need to be perfect. It's saying doing things that you wouldn't have done before you were saved. I would not have thought twice about serving at a church before I was saved. Now I'm saved, I do. It means I'm sacrificing now like I didn't do before I was a Christian. I wasn't a bad guy before I was a Christian. I'm not a good guy now. What it means is I'm serving now for other people. I'm sacrificing for other people. Why? Because I'm called to do so. And why? Because as Paul says here, it's your spiritual worship. What does that mean? You can break that down and look at the original Greek context of it and all of that, but in a nutshell, what it's saying is that's your reasonable response to what it is that God has done. The things that God has done for you in your life, the sacrifice of his son, the fact that you are now saved and you are guaranteed an eternal life in heaven, all of those things, the least that should be expected from you is that every now and again, you sacrifice yourself to some degree and use the gifts that God has given to you for the common good. For the common good. It speaks about having a renewed mind, that you should have your discerning what the will of God is. And it is in the context here of serving. That's what it is he's talking about. This whole chapter is talking about that and about the spiritual gifts. He's talking about that there. We use this phraseology here of having your mind not conform to the world, transforming and renewing your mind. We use that in every aspect and area of your life, and we should, because that's key and that's important. But the context of the Scripture is actually in this serving. What does it mean? It's, you should have your mind renewed because of what it is that God has done with a view to a different outlook, where you should be serving other people, where you're not looking out for yourself and you're not listening to the world when the world says that you need to sit at home with your feet up and, and do what it is, it's all about you. Do what you feel like doing because it's... A, no. We shouldn't be thinking like that. We should be thinking about, you know what? I could really, absolutely now just spend the day with my feet up just to recover from what it is that I'm doing. But instead of that, I'm going to turn up at Encounter Church on a Saturday morning and I'm going to go out and I'm going to serve the community. I'm going to do something for the common good. So there's many people who are doing nothing for God. Because they don't know what it is that God's will is for their lives. Because you're waiting to discover what's God's will for your life. You're waiting. You're not doing anything right now. You're prepared to do. You think you're prepared to do something. I mean, I will do. I just don't know what it is I'm supposed to do. What is my purpose? God, what is your will for my life? I can't tell you what God's will is for your life. But I can tell you what God's will isn't. You doing nothing. That's not God's will for your life. And God will very rarely reveal his whole will to anybody who is not prepared to step out and fulfill part of his will. And if you don't know what to do, come see us. Please come see us. Because we will give you something to do. In the meantime, and if it turns out that's not what you're gifted or called for, if there's nobody doing it, I don't care if you're gifted or called for it. It still needs doing. And if you don't do it, I'm going to be doing it. We need you. We need you to look at this from a whole different perspective. It's not me or Pastor Philip you're serving. You are doing what you are doing with what you have been given to do for the common good. So, how do you find out what it is that you're gifted for? How do you find out where it is that you can be of assistance here? How do you find out? What it is that you can do for the common good. You get in growth track. 
you get in growth track. If you have a heart to serve, a desire to serve, and you are not serving yet, get in growth track. If you have no desire at all to serve anybody whatsoever, get in growth track. Because what's going to happen in growth track? Growth track is going to give you all of the things that you need. It's going to equip you. And you know, it kicks off at 11 o'clock this morning. Feel free to stay and dive in. You can jump in at any week. And you know what? Guess what? This week we're going to be talking about in growth track. Spiritual gifts. We're actually going to be going through questionnaires, which do a personality questionnaire and a spiritual gift questionnaire. And what is that about? It's not exhaustive. It's not to put you in a box, but it's to give you some kind of a guideline so that from the outset of you serving within this church, we might not place you. You might not place yourself in the perfect place for yourself and for your spiritual gifts. But what we're going to help you to do is to make sure that we, to the best of our abilities, don't place you in entirely the wrong place. Put me in there. Put me in there. Put me here. Keep me away from the nursery. Don't put me in the nursery. No, 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 no. And from your perspective, you know, you may be the opposite. You know, what are you talking about, Pastor? I can't, do not put me in, definitely do not put me here. Where's the nursery? You might be heading there. That might be what your gifting and your calling is. You might not be sure about that, and so you haven't been in the nursery for the last six months. You should have been in the nursery for the last six months. Helping and gifting, using what it is that you're gifted for, for the common good. So get in growth track. You can jump in at any time. Over four weeks, 11 o'clock, every Sunday morning. We're going to go through, we're going to break down what it means to be involved with this church. Who this church is, who our pastor is, what our vision is as a church. We're going to look at you and and your giftings that you've been given. Your grace gifts, your charisma that you've been given. We're going to be looking at your personality as I said and see where won't be a fit, where might be a fit. And we're going to do all of that with one purpose, to help you to do what you should be doing. Which is to be using those gifts for the common good. So... I'm wrapping up. Hopefully, hopefully, you have a better understanding of spiritual gifts and what the phrase actually means. Hopefully, you have the understanding of the fact that every single thing that you do has God in it, has the Holy Spirit in it. Whether you're acknowledging that or thinking about that or giving him credit for it, and I'm not saying that you should be saying thank God every word out of your mouth, but whether or not you have the the recognition of God working through you, when you're out there building a wall for a block of toilets, or you're out there tapping your keys and, or, or writing numbers, or if you're coming into church and you're working on the finances, there's so much of what I do here, of what everybody does here, which you can't class as spiritual. But it's all using our spiritual gifts. Hopefully you've grasped how normal the Holy Spirit actually is. How key the Holy Spirit is. You can't do what you do without him. And I'm not talking about building walls. I'm talking about your breathing. You're getting up in the morning. You can't do it without the Holy Spirit. He's there and he's with you. And hopefully, as I said, you've grasped that. The Holy Spirit now, whenever somebody speaks about the Holy Spirit, you're not going to be thinking, woo. When somebody uses the words manifestation, you're going to remember that definition there. And all it means is it's a display. It's the end result. It's what you can see because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Bow your heads where you're at, if you would.
Heavenly Father, Lord God, we love you and thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are all things to us. We give you credit where credit is due, which is for every single thing. You give us life. You give us breath. You give us everything. We couldn't do what we do without you. I thank you, Lord, for opening our eyes this morning, for having our lungs work and having us breathe, having us get here safely, have us the time that we've had. We thank you for this church. And I thank you for every person present here. And Lord, I pray that each person has a different understanding of who you are, a different understanding of who the Holy Spirit is, a different understanding of what it means to be gifted by you, a charisma. We thank you for them. We thank you. Welcome to our podcast here at Encounter Church in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We pray that as you listen to this message, you will not only be challenged, but changed. Our desire is to be a place where life starts, love happens, and purpose is revealed. If you're in our area, join us on Sunday mornings at 9 or 11 a.m. and every first Wednesday at 6.45 p.m. For more information about our church, you can visit us at EncounterChurch.today or follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or Periscope. Just search eChurchBR. We invite you now to open your hearts to receive what God has for you. Here's today's message.